1: Hi, this is Mike dream station manager for 810 KLVZ. I met author, speaker, and discipleship trainer Mike Wolf a few months back through a men's group that we both attend. After listening to what he had to say in the group, I began reading his blogs, and his heart for men and challenging message for the church led me to ask him in for some interviews. Shortly after that, we began discussing a weekly spot so he could bring this entire message forward to our listening audience. I'm now proud to announce his new show, Voice in the Wilderness, beginning right now.
0: Hi, this is Mike Wolf on Voice in the Wilderness, crying out to my sleeping brothers across America, as Paul did to his living in Ephesus, Awake sleepers and arise from the dead, that Christ might shine on you. Um, I want to start this broadcast with a little something from my heart, something I've been convicted of here um, through any number of sources lately. Uh, I know I come on strong. And my passions are evident concerning the things I see happening to my brothers as a result of this perfect storm I talk about. But please understand, I know there are many well-meaning and well-intentioned people, both pastors and folks sitting in the pews out there who are valiantly trying to do God's work. But they're doing it within an inherently broken system, and most don't even see it. And that's why I fight so hard to expose it in the hopes that some can break out and find the Jesus of the marketplace that I know and follow. I confess too often I let my frustrations get the best of me. If you hadn't guessed by now, I'm a, I'm a passionate guy. And those passions carry with them, as all things do, a little bit of light, a little bit of darkness. So forgive me when my passions make me cynical rather than instructional. It's not my intent. It just happens because I get so fired up about this stuff. Anyway, I've stated in prior broadcasts that the perfect storm holding the sons of Adam in its grasp must be exposed and understood before we can move on to building a new, true, and fresh image of Jesus that will move us from living for the kingdom of man to running in the great race that is the kingdom of heaven on earth. It is always easy to talk about positive, encouraging things, but one of the issues that needs to be exposed the most is that that is all we talk about. Jesus is not going to let himself be put in a box labeled grace, love, forgiveness, positive and encouraging. He is the lion who is about to roar. He is the tempest that is about to break upon the naive and unsuspecting with gale force winds. And he is the savior who is about to step down that the judge might take his seat and wield a terrible gavel. The Bible tells us consistently those who will be saved will be few and those who will perish will be many. Many of these Verses are spoken to believers, not to unbelievers. So there's a warning there. And if we are ever to get to the truth concerning who this wild and woolly God we serve is, the mild mannered Clark Kent, without a phone booth, God of Laodicea, so many bowed down to today, must be exposed. So at the risk of not being positive and encouraging for a little while longer, Today I will move on in our discussion of the final piece of this three-part perfect storm raging against us, what I call classroom Christianity. The first part we covered was the environment of Laodicea, which means wealth and all that purchases, comfort, security, convenience, and the love of money. This plays to men's natural apathy because everything is so easy. Why remain alert when there is nothing to fear? Why strive when everything you could possibly want is a five-minute drive or a mouse click away? Why work hard when jobs are abundant, and if you don't work, the federal government will give you anything you need anyway? The second part of the perfect storm is the doctrine of Laodicea, grace, mercy, forgiveness, and love stripped from truth, command, and judgment. Why strive to be obedient when grace covers disobedience? Why work to follow Jesus when actually following him after an initial meeting is not necessary for salvation? Why remain alert at your post when you're going to heaven whether you do or you don't? Why fear God when he has been stripped of his right to judge? Today I carry on with a message I began last week exposing a religious system, a construct that further plays to the apathy of the sons of Adam. It is a system that mirrors in every way the system of religion Jesus found when he came to earth. I call it revived temple worship, where God is to be found in buildings at certain times, not in our world, in our lives, every minute of every day. It is a system where religious leaders build lavish facilities for us to worship in and stand at the door on Saturday evenings and Sunday mornings crying, if you want to know God, come in here. We have everything you need. They preach their tired, tried and true messages concerning grace, love, and forgiveness at the expense of truth, and then we don't see them the rest of the week. This sets up a mindset within us that we go to church rather than we are the church. We go to Bible studies rather than we are the living representations of the Word of God in this world every moment of every day. We go to do ministry during a day to serve or a mission trip rather than mission being a way of life. In short, we've become event-driven rather than lifestyle-driven. Jesus becomes a teacher to listen to rather than a living model for us to emulate. Behold the classroom of students and teachers rather than the community of shepherds and sheep As Jesus intended the classroom is why we build our extravagant temples for when teachers only get to see their students once or twice a week they must get as many of them in the seats as they can gather therefore they must build bigger and bigger temples to first lure in and then hold them all how does this play into the apathy of the sons of Adam simple it means all they need to do is think they are following Jesus showing up at the appointed times giving a few moments to listening to teachings about him, opening their wallets to support the temple, and then going back to whatever it is that truly holds their interest, which for the most is making money and recreating. The Jesus they worship doesn't require they sell all to follow him. He doesn't require too much of their valuable time or attention as a requisite to heaven. He surely doesn't require they step out of what they have determined is their comfort zone to sacrifice anything of value. I ended last week's message with a quote from one of today's leading theologists and teachers who recently passed away, Dallas Willard, in his book, Divine Conspiracy. Quote, in our day, learners usually think of themselves as containers of some sort, with a purely passive space to be filled by the information the teacher possesses and wishes to transfer. The teacher is to fill in empty parts of the receptacle with truth that may or may not later make some difference to the life of the one who has it. The teacher must get the information into them. We then test the patients to see if they got it by checking whether they can reproduce it in language rather than watching how they live. And another quote from Reggie McNeil, one of the leading voices for reform in modern Christendom. Quote, the current preparation methodology of leaders follows a classroom and pre-tested certification model. How absurd. There is no correlation between earning high marks on academic tests and being able to lead people. What this has led to is another quote from Willard. Let me quote him again. My hope is to gain a fresh hearing for Jesus, especially among those who believe they already understand him. Very few people today find Jesus interesting as a person or of vital relevance to the course of their actual lives. And frankly, he is not taken to be a man of much ability. You see, the more we try to strip the parts of Jesus we're comfortable with from those parts that make us uncomfortable, the more we end up with something that, while comfortable, isn't really very exciting, or as Willard says, interesting. And that's what we have today in our environment of Laodicea with our doctrine of the idol of grace and our event-driven system of temple worship. Comfort, comfort, and more comfort. Convenience, convenience, and more convenience. Is it any wonder the sons of Adam are falling to their inherited curse of apathy in increasing numbers because they are so bored with what we are serving up as Christianity? It is important to look at how Jesus reacted to the temple worship in his day and what he did to counteract it because there is a message in there for us. The first thing we need to understand is Jesus wasn't going to fit into the religious mold. He told us how he was going to both set up his true church and counter temple worship in John 10. He said, I am the good shepherd. That's in verse 11. And then down in verse 27, he said, My sheep will hear my voice and they will follow me. He would set the example for all to follow who wanted to be a part of his true church on earth. He was the good shepherd. In Luke 2, 8-12, we find the first uh, announcement of Jesus coming. In the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David, there has been born to you a Savior who is called Christ the Lord. So we see the first announcement of Christ's birth was given to shepherds. In the New Testament, many times Jesus refers to the children of God as sheep. In Matthew 2.6, we find this, And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah. For out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Jesus was prophesied as a shepherd of the people. And then in John 21:15 through 17, we read, So when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, shepherd my sheep. Jesus said to Peter the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he had said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things and you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. So to the, who was going to be the rock of his new church? Three times, and that was obviously because Peter denied him three times. But the last briefing of jesus the commander to his soldier peter three times he referred to his people as sheep sheep or lambs and three times he said to peter i want you to shepherd them i don't want you to just teach them i don't want you to just be a mouthpiece for me i want you to shepherd them as i have shepherded them Now, what does that mean, to shepherd? As with everything else taught, unlike most of the teaching pastors in our classrooms today, being the good shepherd, Jesus also modeled the shepherding concept. He took 12 ordinary men and chose to live with them. Now, think about this. He was doing all these miracles. Thousands of people would follow him around to listen to his teaching. Isn't that, wouldn't that be just the epitome of what most of our teachers would want today, preaching to thousands on hillsides, from boats, in houses, in synagogues. Yet that was not Jesus' main focus. Why? Because he said, I came to be the good shepherd. He not only taught, but led. His classroom was the community. Jesus taught from the life he was leading his disciples into at the moment, and it had impact because experience went along with teaching, and this is what shepherding is. And if you remember last week, we talked about the breadcrumbs that fell from the master's table, and in that whole scenario, Jesus said, my people are perishing for lack of shepherds. People today are perishing for lack of shepherds because all they have is teachers. Again, we've gotten away from sheep and shepherds to teachers and classrooms. It's interesting. I ask our, our our teachers, I ask pastors when they'll talk to me, where are your disciples? And they look at me and they say, well, I have my session. I have my deacons. I have my elders. I have you know this leader, that leader. And I go, no, no, no. Where are your shepherd, or Where are your disciples? Where is a group of men that, like Jesus, you take out into the community on a regular basis and live what you teach in front of them? And to that you get deer in the headlights. Well, well I don't know. And then I say, well, isn't this an interesting thing? Because before Jesus ever preached one message, he went out and gathered his disciples. That was order number one to get these men together that he was going to live life in front of and shepherd. And then he started teaching. And I say to these guys, well, isn't it interesting? You've been preaching for 5, 10, 20 years, and yet you don't have any disciples. But this is classroom Christianity. Imagine Jesus living without the disciples and then telling them about it during an hour per week in the temple. Imagine him being like most of what we call pastors today. Can you just imagine Peter sitting there, and Jesus comes in for their their weekly one-hour meeting, and and, and Jesus says, man, I went out and I walked on the water, and, and I calmed the sea. And Peter, it would have been so cool if you'd have just been there. You'd have walked on the water, dude. You'd have started to sink and you'd have reached out and cried out for me and I'd have taken your hand and I'd have picked you right up there and we'd have walked on the water together. But it's enough, I tell you. And you, James, and you, John, man, you guys would have had one little basket of fish and loaves and there would have been 5,000 people sitting on the hillside and you would have prayed over those loaves and all of a sudden they'd have become hundreds and thousands and you would have fed the whole group and had plenty left over it would have been so cool if you'd have been there but it's enough I tell you it's enough I preach to you about it do you see where I'm going with this life with experience has impact that teaching without experience can never have Why is it so important to understand this? Because we have to go back to John. Sheep hear and they follow. And I want want to prove this to you. I want you to think about this. Why is it that we can find the faithful in their temples sometimes five, six, seven times a week for this committee meeting, that worship practice, this drama practice, that ice cream social, this committee, you know, that teaching thing, and yet rarely will they leave the temple and go out into the community. Think about shepherds and sheep. They hear my voice and they follow me. The reason they will come in over and over and over again and gather constantly, but they won't go out, is because the temple is where their shepherd is, and that's where they're going to gather. It's a fact. It's, it's a fact with, with real shepherds and real sheep that sheep can understand the shepherd's message. Sheep get used to their shepherd's voice, to their shepherd's call, to the extent that they will follow him when he calls, that he can stand there till his face turns blue and he has no wind left in his lungs, screaming at the sheep to go. And if he doesn't if he doesn't leave, they won't go. And this is what Jesus did that set him apart. He walked into this classroom system. He walked into the same system we have today. And he said, I'm not gonna do this. I'm not gonna play your game. I'm going to be the good shepherd. I'm gonna take 12 guys and I am going to live my life in front of them. And I am going to lead as I teach in balance, and it transformed their lives. We have to remember, sheep don't just hear, they follow. And what classroom Christianity does today breeds a lack of experiencing the gospel that should go along with the teaching, and this is what has the sons of Adam so bored and disconnected from them. Now I want to talk about something I call the trickle-down system. Of classroom Christianity here's how this works. It always starts in the seminaries okay imagine a, a young on fire believing young man who has a vision for God, a heart for people and he wants to be a pastor. What's the first thing most of them do? They go to seminary okay now now imagine on one side of the board we have, my my sheep hear me and on the other side of the board we have and they follow me okay this young man goes into seminary and for 3 or 4 years or however long he's in there what does he hear what is the voice he hears well he hears all kinds of good stuff he hears all kinds of biblical stuff it's just like when we go to church on sunday i hear great sermons in 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 big churches there's nothing wrong with the teaching in, in most cases. But what do they see? What do these seminarians see? What they see is a classroom. What they do is they come in and they hear teaching. Their professors at this moment are the shepherds. They are the sheep. And, and regardless of how we want it to look, it's going to look the way Jesus told us it would look. He said, my, my sheep will hear my voice and they will follow me. Okay, so what do they hear? They hear all kinds of good stuff. Go out into your community. Go out and, you know, be the feet of Jesus. Be the voice of Jesus. Go out and love the unlovely. Go out and pray for the, you know, all this wonderful stuff. Yes, they're hearing that. But what do they see? They see professors in a classroom. Now, let's trickle it down to the next level. They go out, they graduate from seminary. They go out and they either join a church or they start a church. As much as they want to do it differently, as much, and you hear that all the time from people going into seminary, boy, I'm going to do it differently. I don't know how I'm going to do it differently, but I'm going to do it differently because everybody understands the poll results. Everybody understands the problem. We're not making disciples, we're making converts who really don't understand what discipleship is about. So these young skulls full of mush who have spent four years now hearing one thing and watching another go to start their own churches. And they stand in their pulpits and they preach. And their sheep come in and they listen. And nothing changes. Now they're the shepherd and their people are the sheep. What are the what are the people, what are the sheep hearing? They're hearing all kinds of good sermons on Sunday. Great stuff. What are they seeing? They're seeing a teacher in a classroom that we call Sunday service. Let's trickle it down to the next level. Most pastors want to start small groups, right? They they have a heart for their people they want to see their people grow they know they are not going to grow just on sunday mornings so they want to start small groups so they start small groups i don't know how many of you have led small groups but i've led a ton of small groups in churches before god opened my eyes to what was really going on and where did the pastor gather us to teach us as small group leaders in the church did we ever go out did he ever take us out into the community to model what he was teaching us and to model what he wanted us to be what he was teaching us to be not in anyone i was ever at and so what happens there we're the sheep the small group leaders are the sheep and the pastor is the shepherd right what do we hear we hear all kinds of good stuff we hear all kinds of one go out Teacher and small group to go out. Let's get out there and make a difference for Jesus. All this biblical stuff. But what did we see? We saw a teacher in a classroom. So then we, we form our small groups. Now, seriously, think about this. Think about the small groups you've been in. Aren't they really more mini? Sunday services than anything else. We get together, we pray, we sing a song or two, and we get a lesson. Sure, there's more intimacy. Sure, there's more gathering together. But how many of you have been in a small group where the leader actually took you out into the community to go do ministry? Again, same concept. Now the small group leader is the pastor. Now the small group participants are the sheep. What do they hear? They hear all kinds of good stuff about Jesus. They hear all kinds of biblical stuff. But what do they see? They see a teacher in a classroom. And guys and gals, Jesus said it. My sheep will hear my voice and follow me. The example the sheep see is the example they will follow. Is it any wonder the guy in the back row on Sunday morning sits there and wonders what his place in all this is is it any wonder he feels like a student in a classroom is it any wonder his christianity is an event in a building on sunday morning and nothing else it's shepherd and sheep we're we're, we're teaching the right stuff but we're not showing the right stuff <laughs> We're teaching them but we're not setting an example and so they're not experiencing it and they become nothing more than students into which we're pumping knowledge rather than sheep into which we're pumping our lives. Now, how does this affect our pastors? Let me, let me give you another quote, a couple of quotes from ben, Brennan Manning. In the church, we tend to produce amateur theologians rather than witnesses of Jesus who have really experienced him. Reggie McNeil again we must change our idea of what it means to develop a disciple, shifting the emphasis from studying Jesus in all things spiritual in an environment protected from the world to following Jesus into the world. And if the truth be known, many leaders do not give themselves to developing other people because they've never had it happen to them. This whole trickle-down system, most of our shepherds haven't been shepherded, and so they become teachers because that's how they've been taught. And the whole thing just keeps trickling down, keeps trickling down to where the guy in the back row says, man, it's about Sunday for an hour in the classroom. Well, that's as far as we can get today, guys. We're running out of time, and I want to finish this discussion up next week. But until then, if you're a leader, please think about, are you leading and not just teaching? And if you're a sheep and you're not getting that experience, that example, go out and find a shepherd who will shepherd you. Until next week, this is Mike Wolf with Voice of the Wilderness, signing off.
1: You've been listening to the new Voice in the Wilderness broadcast with author, speaker, and discipleship trainer, Mike Wolf. If you're feeling led to know more concerning Mike's challenging message to men and the church, his website is thereconnectedchurch.org. Or you can email Mike at reconnectedchurch@gmail.com at gmail.com and request to be put on his blog list. You can find his books, The Lost Supper, and his devotional series, Praying Today's Psalms, on Amazon. Until this same time next week, remember all you sons of Adam, We are made to thrive by joining the most exciting man who ever lived on the greatest adventure that ever was.